Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, good evening. Do um, keep John 19 open in front of you. Um, it, it might not hurt to have a finger in Exodus 12 as well, or maybe tuck a notice sheet in there. You'll be wanting to find that again in a minute, I'm sure. Um, we're going to be looking at um, both of those two passages uh, together this evening. Uh, and um, let, me just, uh, let me just pray for us. I think we'll need God's help as we come to look at these wonderful texts. And so let's pray now. Our Lord God, we pray this evening that as we come to look at the Bible together, since we know it is your word where you reveal yourself to us, we pray that that's what you would do this evening. Help us to understand it and to believe it and to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Every organisation has its symbol. Um, Apple has that sort of logo of an apple with a little um, bite taken out of it. Uh, There's the Nike tick or swoosh or whatever it is we're supposed to call it. Uh, McDonald's has the golden arches. And um, for the uni students, I was noting the other day that um, the Sheffield University symbol is a sort of book with arrows firing into it. Not quite sure what that means, but every organisation has its symbol, and Christianity is the same. Christianity has its symbol. Uh, It's something you'll see on churches all over the world. Uh, It's something Christians often wear as jewellery. If you go out um, into the churchyard on your way out tonight, many of the, um, the gravestones are shaped like this symbol. It is, of course, the cross. The cross that has been the symbol of Christianity for most of church history. Uh, The cross that um, we have um, emblazoned on the back wall there and that you'll see on jewellery and on churches throughout the world. But when you stop to think about it, the cross is a very strange choice of symbol for the Christian faith. Uh, I mean, the cross was an appalling method of execution, Uh, We had read just a few lines from this description of the blood and gore that took place as Jesus died. Um, it's, um, It's really, it's the Roman contribution to the history of world genocide. Um, It's not so different from churches choosing to have an electric chair emblazoned on the wall or Christians wearing a hangman's noose around their neck on jewellery. It was an ugly thing in the first century world. Uh, So much so, one Roman emperor um, decreed that it should never be mentioned in polite conversation. He said, and I quote, the cross should never come near the eyes or ears of a Roman citizen. And so the cross is an unusual choice of symbol when you think about what it means. Uh, And of course, um, thinking a bit further, the cross was the place where Jesus died. I mean, think of the other things that could have been the symbol of the Christian faith. The manger that Jesus was laid in when he was born. The dove that descended on him at his baptism. At the mountain on which he preached his most famous sermon. And yet down through the ages and all over the world, Christians have chosen to celebrate and remember the death of Jesus. We'll be doing it tonight as we take bread and wine together. Why is the cross at the heart of the Christian faith? 
And that is the question I want to think about this evening. Um, John, who wrote the gospel in this passage in front of us, the New Testament reading, he claims to have been an eyewitness to the death of Jesus. Look at verse 35 for a moment. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. You see, Jesus says that the, um, John says the appalling violence of Jesus' death, I was there. And I saw it. When he was stripped and beaten and marched up the hill, I saw it. When he was nailed to a wooden cross and hung there in the midday heat, I was there and I saw it. When the Romans wanted to get the job over quickly, and so they were going along smashing the legs of the guys on either side of Jesus with an iron hammer, John says, I was there and I saw it. And when they got to Jesus... He was already dead, and I was there, and I saw it. So they didn't smash his legs. They proved that he was dead by inserting a spear into his side. And I saw, says John, blood and the sort of water-like internal fluids go everywhere because he was really dead. And John says, I saw it. The man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. And the cross was an appallingly violent and ugly thing. And John doesn't spare us the details in John 19. And yet, and yet, half of John's gospel is dedicated to the last few hours of Jesus' life. John repeatedly calls the cross Jesus' moment of glory, his hour when he would be glorified. And in verse 36 and 37, John tells us why an appallingly violent death, is central to his gospel and to the whole Christian faith. Verse 36, these things happened so that the scripture, that is the Old Testament, would be fulfilled. And he gives us these two quotes from the Old Testament. Not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And you see, John says it's only if we understand the Old Testament, these two ideas from the Old Testament, that we will see why an appallingly painful and shameful death is the heart of what Christianity is all about. Now, the next two Sundays, we're going to look at those two um, Old Testament ideas together. And this evening, we'll look at verse 36. Not one of his bones will be broken. And you'll have to come back next week for verse 37. But verse 36 there, um, it's a quote from that... um, that reading we had, the first reading from Exodus 12 from the Old Testament. It's a quote from the Passover, and John is saying that to see the significance of the cross, to understand what it means and why an appallingly violent death is the center of the Christian faith, we need to understand Exodus 12. We need to understand the Passover because John says that Jesus' death fulfilled what the Passover was all about. So um, if you've got that finger in Exodus 12, should we turn back there together? Exodus 12, uh, the Passover. And um, I don't know if, um, if you know much about the, the book of Exodus. It's a very famous story. But all we're going to do this evening really is think about what is the Passover And what does it teach us about the cross? And um, uh, in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God demanded that Pharaoh let the people go. 
Uh, maybe you've seen the film Prince of Egypt or something like that, and you remember that. Pharaoh had hard-heartedly refused, and so God had sent, at this point in the story, nine plagues on Egypt, his just judgment against Pharaoh and his hard-hearted refusal to let the people go. And the plagues come in three groups of three, And here we are, um, God has promised a tenth, a final, a climactic plague. Um, You can see just the heading of Exodus 11, a plague on the firstborn, that the firstborn son in every house in Egypt would die. Uh, But the pattern of the ten plagues is broken in this final climactic plague. You see, up till now, um, the people of Israel have basically just sat there while God has said a plague would happen, and then the plague happens. Nine plagues, that's, that's what's happened. But here in Exodus 12, the pattern is broken. With the final plague, this final judgment on Egypt, God um, breaks into the pattern of, he says he's going to do it, and then he does it, to turn to the people of Israel and say, there is something that needs to happen in order for them to be spared from the judgment and we heard it read for us that um, on the 10th day of the month, a family would, um, would get a lamb, they'd bring it into their home, they'd live with it for four days. This lamb, if you like, would become part of the family. And then on the fourth day at twilight, they would kill the lamb. They'd slaughter it and um, its blood would be poured out. Uh, they'd take a hyssop branch, a sort of brush-like branch, and they'd get the blood and they'd paint it all over the doorframe of their house. And God tells them they're to do this. And if they do this, well, verse 13, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So what does the Passover mean Well, um, let me give you the principle of the Passover in a sentence, and then we'll unpack that a little bit. What the Passover meant was this. Only the blood of God's lamb saves. That was the principle of the Passover. Only the blood of God's lamb saves. They were to paint the blood on the doorpost, and that would be a sign so that judgment would not fall on their house. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. And the first thing we see about the Passover in this passage is that it's God's rescue from his judgment. It is God's rescue from his judgment. Um, Look down at um, Exodus 12, verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. You see, um, in Exodus, up to this point, the people have been saved through judgment. And that is right. The people are saved through God's judgment against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt for keeping them enslaved. And you only have to read the opening chapters of Exodus to know that God's judgment was just. You you read about um, the uh, forced labor camps. You you read about Pharaoh's genocide of the children of Israel, and you see the justice of those nine judgments as they fell on Egypt. 
But you see, the Passover shows us that the people don't just need to be saved through judgment, they also need to be saved from judgment. Uh, The only distinction in this final plague is not one of ethnicity or privilege. It's not a question of which synagogue or church they go to or who their parents are. The only distinction in Egypt on that night is the death of the lamb, a rescue from God's judgment. Only the blood of God's lamb saves And of course, um, if you read the book of Exodus, you see why that is. Um, As with the whole of the Bible, yes, there are the the obviously um, immoral people like Pharaoh, where it's it's very obvious to everyone that they're deserving of God's judgment. But you read the rest of the book of Exodus, and you see how often the people of Israel too trusted in other things rather than God, how often they rebelled against him, how clearly they were deserving of his judgment. Uh, Yes, they might have looked nice and moral on that night, and yet they stood guilty before him, just as everyone in Egypt did. They trusted in other things, the gods of Egypt. Uh, Let me put it like this. I don't know um, where your family lives. Uh, Ours are sort of, um, both um, my wife and my family are are just sort of down the M1 a couple of hours in the southeast, and... um, So it takes a bit of a journey to get there, but I want you to imagine for a moment you're going to visit your family and maybe you've had to drive a few hours to get there and the car is um, packed full of gifts and all sorts of things to bring them. And um, when you get to the front door and you ring on the doorbell, a member of your family um, answers and they open the door, but just a crack, and they say to you, I want the presents. Now, um, in a moment of what I can only describe as sublime sort of um, English awkwardness, you you, you just sort of cough up the gifts at that point, um, not really knowing what to do or how to take it, at which point the door slams in your face. And um, I wonder how you feel at that moment. Uh, Disappointed, distressed, angry maybe? Uh, I think I would be. And the Bible says that um, whether it's the obviously immoral person, like Pharaoh, or the nice and moral-looking person, when we're honest, we see that we've all treated God like that. That um, we say to God, I want the gifts that you give me, but I don't want you in my life. Uh, I'll set the direction for my own life. I'll work out what's important to me. And we shut the door in his face. And the Bible says that God is right to be angry about that, that he's right to judge us for the way that we do that. And we can see why, can't we? To say to God, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. It was true for Israel, it's true for us. And it means that we're under God's judgment. And um, uh, we see God's judgment, the sign of God's judgment, according to the Bible, is death physical death. We see that we're in a world under God's judgment because it is a world full of death. Uh, How often are the things in our lives really just there to distract us from the reality that we will one day die? Uh, Hebrews 2, another part of the Bible, verse 15, says uh, that we live in slavery to the fear of death as human beings. And um, certainly ancient Egypt, perhaps of all cultures, was full of all sorts of superstitions to try and protect people from the reality of death. 
You know, go down to the British Museum and you can see the things that the pyramids were stuffed full of. You can see the mummies and all of that sort of stuff that you probably, uh, you know, love when you're a 10-year-old boy. But it's full of all of the superstitions to protect them from death. Uh, death is the great destroyer. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I had a few months ago of um, sitting um, at the hospital bed of a dear friend with only days to live and you see how death shrinks someone. Death is a great destroyer. And the Bible says it's the mark of the fact that we are under God's just judgment for the way that we have treated him. And the question that the Passover raises is what can protect us from God's judgment? What can protect us from death and our slavery to the fear of death? The Passover is a picture that says only the blood of God's lamb can save. It was a rescue from God's judgment. And John wants us to see that the death of Jesus is the thing that the Passover was a scale model of. It was the real um, worldwide rescue from the judgment of God. Jesus put it like this in John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That is life that goes through death and into eternity. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's right anger remains on them. Do you see, Jesus came and died, and the glory of the cross, the reason that the cross is the symbol of Christianity and the thing that we remember and rejoice in Well, firstly, it's that Passover principle. We need a rescue from God's judgment. And Jesus gloriously is that rescue in his death. Secondly, the Passover is God's rescue through a substitute. Just look at chapter 12, verse 3 with me. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Uh, Verse 21, Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said, go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some on the blood of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of your door, uh, the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. See, on that great and terrible night of God's justice in the land of Egypt, in every house there was a death. In every house there was a death. Either the firstborn son died, or the lamb died in their place as a substitute The judgment of God of death either fell on the firstborn or on the lamb in their place. I wonder if you can imagine what it must have been like that night. Um, Little Joe is tucked into bed early, still light outside, and um, uh, his um, lights are switched off. And just, just before he goes to bed, Dad, you will remember to sacrifice the lamb, won't you? Yes, of course I will. I've, just, I've got a few jobs to do 
and then I'll get to it. Uh, half an hour later, little Joe comes down the stairs and says, Dad, um, you will remember, won't you, to sacrifice the lamb? Have you done it yet? Uh, no, I'm just look, I'm digging in to watch the match, but, um, but I'll do it at half time, don't worry. Now, 45 minutes later, little Joe is back in half time. Dad, have you done it yet? Have you remembered to sacrifice the lamb? Well, no, um, actually, I'm, just, I'm, I'm watching the punditry, you know, I'll do it, I'll do it at the end of the match, and, and you've got to bet, 45 minutes later, little Joe's back down there again. Dad, have you done it yet? Have you remembered to sacrifice the lamb? Well, I'm sure it wouldn't have played like that at all. I'm sure that Dad was out there the moment twilight fell, taking care of sacrificing the lamb and spreading the blood, because in every house, judgment was going to fall either on the firstborn or on the Passover lamb. And John, the gospel writer, he wants us to know that, again, that is a picture of what Jesus did on the cross when he died, that his death was in the place of people like us, of people who've slammed the door in God's face. He died as a substitute Another John, John the Baptist, when he first clapped eyes on Jesus of Nazareth, he he shouted at the top of his voice, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's a great line, isn't it? Here was the Lamb who was going to die as a substitute in place of sinful people like you and me. Uh, John 19, if you've still got a finger in there, it's, it's full of, of connections to the Passover. John doesn't want us to miss this. Jesus was what the Passover lamb was giving a visual illustration of. Um, 19 verse 14, he tells us it's the day of preparation of the Passover. Again, verse 31, it was the day of preparation. You know, we're in the middle of the Passover festival, guys, here. Don't miss this. As the lambs are dying... So the lamb that they were pointing to, that they were illustrating, was being butchered on a Roman cross. Now hyssop um, that was used to paint blood on the doorposts is dipped in red um, wine vinegar and is held up to the man as he's crucified on a wooden beam. In verse 29... His legs are broken, uh, his legs are not broken just as the Passover lamb's legs weren't, and blood flows everywhere. And John says, don't miss it. This happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled, verse 36 and 37. This happened because the Passover lamb was a picture of what would happen on the cross as Jesus died in the place of people who deserve God's judgment and condemnation. Now, I wonder how you, um, how you feel about that. That um, the Passover says we need a substitute to take our place in the face of God's judgment. Um, some people hate that idea. And um, the author, George, um, sorry, George Bernard Shaw, um, famously um, uh, walked out of a church meeting where they were explaining exactly this truth, saying to himself, I will pay my own debts. But the Passover reminds us that we cannot pay our own debts. That before God, we live in the slavery of the fear of death. Uh, Elsewhere, George Bernard Shaw wrote, I love Christianity, I hate Christianity, in reference to the same idea. 
But the Passover reminds us that Christianity is Christianity, that there is no relationship with God, no welcome into eternal life without a substitute. We need a substitute to die in our place. Only the blood of God's lamb saves. And so the cross is at the heart of the Christian faith. It is the great symbol of Christianity precisely because it is God's rescue from his judgment through a substitute. Now, just as I close, notice one more thing about the Exodus, uh, about the Passover in Exodus 12, which is that it was a rescue to be trusted. Uh, Think for a moment of painting the blood on the doorposts. You know, if you're walking home from church this evening and you see one of the houses on your way home has blood all over the door frame, and there's just blood just dripping down on the mat and that sort of thing. You're, you'll, you'll probably notice that, won't you? I can't imagine that you'll just walk past it and not notice. You see, God provided a substitute, a sacrifice, the Passover lamb, but the people did have to respond, didn't they? They responded in a very visible, a very public way by painting blood all over their front door. And the same is true with the death of Jesus. Uh, Just notice um, in John 19, verse 35, John says, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. You see, this, um, this Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, uh, we don't gain the benefit of his death uh, simply by sitting there and doing nothing. Uh, we don't earn it, but we do need to receive it. We, we do need to decide that we're going to trust it, which is what believe means. Now, of course, for, for us, that doesn't mean um, painting blood on our doorpost, and so um, the residents of Fullwood can uh, relax this evening, I think. But, but it does mean deciding to trust in this sacrifice for us, I think, and at least telling somebody. Now, it might be that you're here this evening and um, all of this stuff is quite new to you. And to be honest, it feels pretty involved and um, a bit weird, to be honest. And if that's you, let me say... Um, Uh, John says here in this verse that the testimony, the eyewitness evidence, is there to persuade us that this is true, that the cross is um, the most glorious, the most important thing in the history of our world, and it's that that will lead us to trust it. And um, let me encourage you to um, keep digging. Uh, Please come back. Uh, Please take every opportunity to, um, to maybe read one of the Gospels and look at the evidence and be persuaded. Uh, John says that Jesus gave himself as the Passover lamb that we need so that we can know God. And if that's true, well, investing time in finding out could be the best investment that you ever make in your life. But it might be that you're here this evening and actually you've been in church for a long time and yet you know that you've never really um, made a decision for yourself Uh, you've never really said, um, I want Jesus' sacrifice to be for me. Uh, Perhaps you've always thought it was about other things that you needed to do for God. And if that's you, can I encourage you this evening to trust in Jesus? 
that might look like just praying a prayer, saying, Lord Jesus, I want your sacrifice to be for me as my substitute to save me from God's judgment and from death. But look, I guess... um, As I close, many of us will be here this evening and will say this message of the cross is something that we have, we've known and loved and cherished for a long time, something we've we've often um, come back to and something that we believe. And if that's you, let me just, um, let me just point out that the Passover was something to be remembered. Again and again in Exodus 12, um, God is telling the people, don't forget this, every year, You are to do this and to remember that it is only by trusting in the substitute to save us from God's judgment that that you know me, that you are rescued. And um, of course, Jesus, when he sat down to take uh, the Passover meal with his friends, um, he, um, instead of um, taking the bread and saying, this is the bread of affliction, he said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. And, and he took the, wine, the cup of wine and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I guess for those of us who already trust in the cross, the danger is always going to be that we, that we forget, that we do not remember that it is only the blood of God's lamb that saves uh, start to think it's um, other things in our lives that really matter, that are really significant. Uh, perhaps start to look down on other people. They're the really immoral people, and I'm basically okay. And the message of the Passover is that we must remember and keep trusting in the cross. Uh, as we come to take bread and wine together, it, it's the visual sign that Jesus has given us. Just as God gave the people um, the Passover um, to remember every year, to remind us that we need to trust in the cross, that it is only the blood of God's lamb that saves. Uh, let me encourage you this evening, um, as you... Um, as we all take communion together, I know that we, we often like to sort of close our eyes and have a quiet moment between ourselves and God. But um, why not just this once? Um, look at the other people as they receive bread and wine up at the front and say to yourself, they're um, a Christian only because Jesus died in their place, only because they have a substitute who rescues them from God's judgment and let it build our faith, remind us to trust him so that we never forget that it is only the blood of God's lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who saves. So look, why is it the cross on um, churches all over the country? Why is it the cross that we remember as we take communion? Why, Why celebrate this bloody form of death? Well, it's because we need a substitute and at the cross we find God's rescue from his judgment through precisely that substitute the true Passover lamb that we need. Let me pray that we would remember that. Our Lord God, as we come to take bread and wine this evening, would you help us never to forget that it is only through the death of Jesus God's true Passover lamb that we can be saved from death and judgment and know you 
and to rejoice. Amen.